You know, in my DNA, I've been blessed with, you know, high energy. I don't drink coffee. I have a Red Bull running through my veins and I'm just high on life. And, you know, if you have one life to live, make it the best you can, you know, and make it the best you can for everyone that's surrounded by you too. Whatever you can do to give back if life gave you an opportunity, I think is the duty of a human being. That's Artie Aryanpour, the founder and CEO of Seekster, whose company accidentally fell upon a software that cracked the code of interoperability, allowing healthcare providers and patients to access all of their personal health records in one common area. In this interview, Artie shares the challenges of the siloed healthcare system, struggles of developing a startup, and the importance of leadership decision-making. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Artie Aryanpour. Two. And welcome everyone to the historic Hotel Del Coronado. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards with the Realist Podcast. Alongside me today, we have Artie Aranpour, the CEO and co-founder of Seekster. Artie, hey, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here at the Exponential Medicine Conference on the beach in San Diego, Coronado. Can't be better. Well, we were just walking past each other, weren't we, in the, the iLab, which is just where all the the new innovation and all the new technology is for exponential medicine. And Artie comes back, he, he says, what are the big cameras for? I said, for big people like yourself. And here we are and the, the next day later. And so Artie, you sent me an article about Seekster. Um, it talked about kind of how your platform is being utilized to take on some of the world's biggest challenges, as well as this new platform to integrate and take all this data and put it together in one simple format. Maybe explain to our audience what Seekster is and, and maybe the purpose behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was an accident, and that's what's the beauty about Seekster. We believe everyone is seeking health data. It doesn't matter if you're a provider, a payer, a pharmaceutical company, or even a parent, a person. So everyone is seeking health data. So everyone's a Seekster at some point in their lifetime. And uh, we came from heavy genomics backgrounds where we had a lot of experience with DNA data. And DNA data is complex, but we never knew that EHR data and all the other different types of data are much more messier than DNA data because DNA data is pretty simple in the format of it being just A, T, C, G within the building blocks of life. Long story short, um, we fell on this venture, started in January of 2016 um, with an amazing engineering group, an amazing mission-driven you know, management team that puts the person at the center of healthcare disrupting all their episodic EHR that's been siloed connecting it with their baseline genetic data that's been siloed, as well as any wearable remote patient monitoring data that's been siloed. Because you have so much data even just on your Apple Series 5 watch, not just your steps from blood pressure to you know lots of day sleeping data. There's just lots of data that you don't really see all in one place matched to your episodic care data. And so we built the mint.com of your health data. However, what we're really excited about is the fact that commercially we built the salesforce.com for healthcare. Got it. And I want, I want this point to go unnoticed. You're talking about silos. That seems to be the main problem with health and innovation in almost really any industry in today's day and age. Um, explain to our audience in layman's terms how you are converging 
all these silos on this platform in this Salesforce type format? Yeah, so, you know, when, when you go to a doctor's appointment, um, that health institution is siloing your data, right? When you get a DNA test from 23andMe, that laboratory or DNA testing, consumer testing company is siloing your data. Um, when you buy a Fitbit or a Garmin or an Apple Watch, they are siloing the data on the devices. For that data to be unsiloed and connected, for people to be really connected to their health and to their you know, health data, you have to have a software of some sort that cracks the code on interoperability, a $30 billion plus annual problem where we accidentally fell on in cracking through the person. And so the only, per the only way to actually unsilo data is for Kevin or for Artie or for you know, Jennifer and uh, you know, Kelly or whoever to put themselves at the center of their health and collect their own data in some sort of longitudinal format. That's what we built with Seekster. And so why is that important, Artie? I mean, <clears throat> if I go in and maybe I come in unconscious and I can explain to a doctor um, my prior history, uh, mm. can you explain to me like why Seekster would come into play? And yeah. Why on that platform? So that's a great use case example, actually, Kevin. So what can happen is imagine in that example, if you have you know, a person where they have multiple health records, you know, in various different places, whatever emergency sure. happens, now they need to go see an ER doc. And that ER doc knows nothing about them. Mm. You know, maybe the caregivers with them, their wife or their sister or their brother, or whoever. And we always have to fill out certain forms about our health history, right? And maybe medications that we're sensitive to. There's lots that goes on, that go on within an intervention for you to get the right quality of care. Mm. The biggest problem is actually the fact that the provider or the physician doesn't have access because you don't have access to collecting your data and sharing it with that. Even though under HIPAA laws, P being the portability, as I said on stage right. earlier today at Exponential Medicine, um, is, is for portability and we've never had that. We created the, the, the platform that allows that portability to occur and we put all that data in a common form instantaneously through a consumer-mediated data exchange. Uh, and then now, I'm gonna throw out an analogy, Art. <laughs> I just got thought of this on the spot. It's basically like if if you're at a restaurant, okay, and the consumer is obviously the person who's eating the dinner, and the the chef is the person uh, who's the, the the provider. You're the waitress, and you're either a waiter who's taking that order and telling that person what you want and bringing that information back to that chef so they can understand what you, uh, meal to cook you. You're uh, kind of making me hungry, but that's <laughs> actually a really good, simple example. I think another example would be if you look at you know mint.com for finances, the same way that you know I can bring in my Wells Fargo bank account, my Bank of America, my Sally Mae student loans, my credit cards from Chase, and see my net worth. Kevin, we always ask the question, what about our net health? Why don't we have a dashboard in seeing 
our overall health and our overall loved one's health. Because I believe that we don't care about our health until we're sick, but you really care about your mom's health. You care about, you know, maybe your kid's health. You care about your wife's health. And so, you know, it's really interesting where the incentives and the motivation goes when you do build a platform like Seekster and what, you know, the patients and consumers tell you what they care about, mm. not us, the technologists or the geneticists or engineers. Uh, it's great to have that expertise, but I'm really interested in what people really want. And so we started with people first and then connected the highly sophisticated engineers in building what the people want, not what I want. We don't have all the answers, but people do. Gotta get the people what they want. We wanna empower the individualized health record. And the only way to do that is give people the power to have a voice in what is it that they wanna see with their health data? How do they wanna carry their health data? What types of recommendations would they wanna see? What would they wanna do next once they have their health data in, in one place? There's so much that happens within this and it really hits on this big thing of theme of interoperability that is front and center out of every single conference I've been at. Artie, we've thrown, a lot, we've thrown around a lot of wants and a lot of cares. Uh, why do you care so much about this company and what do you want from it? You know, I have a personal story. So um, first off, before I go into the personal story, I don't think there's care in healthcare. And I've experienced that through my own family, all right? And um, we need care in healthcare. <laughs> right. And, you know, we call it healthcare. And at least in the US, in our fragmented system, there is no care in healthcare. And my mom's a, a 20 plus year breast cancer survivor. My dad is a recent one year or so colon cancer survivor. And both my grandparents passed away due to Alzheimer's disease, unfortunately. Sorry. Um, and it's all part of life. But through this whole process, I've been the poster child for health data. And you know, I'm a 39 year old thriving young man that is on a relentless mission to give this technology to every single American, if not the 7.7 .7 billion human beings on our little spaceship that we call Earth. Right, nice. Now there's an analogy. That's my mission. So I guess what you're trying to get out of this though, I mean, when you're not, uh, when you're thinking by yourself, I'm sure you have some thoughts when you wake up in the morning or if it's at night, I'm sure you do some type of meditation and some type of thinking by yourself. What do you want from this? What do you want from life? What do you want from this career? What do you want to do for people? Yeah, I think, you know, I would be so happy knowing that we created something that really changed healthcare, that really impacted global health. That is a privilege. Um, you know, I, my team and I, had the privilege and opportunity to take next-gen sequencing to the clinic and be part of the SCOTUS decision in 2013. That's when all our names got big. We built a billion-dollar company before, mm. and that was great. And I never, ever thought that I'd be sitting at these conferences, standing on the stage, talking about something bigger than me, bigger than you, bigger than life. So, you know, I get depressed when I know I have to go to bed because I'm so excited for that next morning. And that's been the biggest challenge actually through this whole journey of Seekster. We've been doing it for four years nonstop, right? We've traveled, you know, probably a million miles, presented globally, 
nationally, regionally. We've won every single award. And it's all been because we represent the voice of the patients. And what I really want to take away from this is how can I give back? And, you know, I had one win before. It is a phenomenal, incredible opportunity in your lifetime to be only 39 years old, to be able to impact, you know, global health at this time um, with a technology, I feel really fortunate. And I feel like this is the only time where I didn't actually pick my job in my career, it picked me. And I don't know actually how that happened. Mm. So when I go on my walks, I try to reflect on how did this actually happen? Mm. And it, I'm kind of blown away by it. Well, it's part of your DNA that you you weren't you were once uh, studying, I guess, which is kind of an interesting parallel there. Well, maybe what what, what can the, your DNA, or I guess how is studying DNA, uh, maybe change your perspective on life and how you know uh, four little letters uh, can have an impact on disease and health and really impact 7.7 billion people, like you said. Yeah, you know, um, I love DNA. I mean, I've been in the DNA business since the age of 16, actually, starting at the Salk Institute. It's the first time I actually saw DNA, you know, and when I was working with transgenic mice on actually the breast cancer gene. I was 16 years old at the Salk Institute doing this, and it was the first time we were running PCR and I saw DNA in the lab. I was fascinated by it. Um, then I understood that, wow, there's so much information packaged in our DNA. There's three billion letters in our DNA, what we call the genome. And these technologies in the 2000s, after the whole genome, the first whole genome was sequenced um, around, I think, 2002, 2003, uh, that was when it opened up, you know, the next generation thinking of how you can apply DNA technologies to medicine. It took a while for that technology to catch up to what it is currently today, but it's being used in you know prenatal diagnostics. It's being used for cancer genomics. It's being used for screening. And just 15 years ago, we couldn't really say that. And it's only been 15 years. So I think the future of DNA is very bright, but it's not all about DNA. And I learned that by spending a decade and a half in just drinking the DNA Kool-Aid. It's about all the other data too. And so with Seekster, we seek out the health data to connect your DNA with your EHR data, with your claims data, with your social determinants of health data, with your remote patient monitoring data. We built the technology to be able to connect dots for you, the person. Uh, Artie, we just interviewed a doctor who had an idea in 1995 to sequence you know, this information and, and provide doctors with better solutions. Mm. Technology wasn't there. Now it is. Um, what do you have to say about the increase of emerging technologies? And what do you think six years is going to look like in 20 years? Oh, that's a tough question. Okay, let me, let me start with your first one. Well, I think innovation is really interesting because once you get into the innovation circle, you start actually seeing where there's lots of pain points where other technologies can maybe solve different problems that you never really anticipated, um, number one. Number two, uh, what I think in 20 years, what Seekster can look like, 
I do truly believe that Seekster can be the technology piece that empowers the individualized health record. And we will all have what I call an IHR. We don't have that yet. And I believe that our technology it's definitely leading the nation now. That's why we're getting all the attention that we're getting. That's why all these commercial businesses and enterprises want to do business with us. But because we built it to scale and we didn't start with just doing it and going out to direct a consumer, um, even though we built it with the consumer and patient in mind, the scalability and the opportunity with Seekster's technology on enterprises and organizations on how we can empower millions of members is just mind blowing. And I could see, you know, every American having an individualized health record the same way that you have a social security number. So an individualized health record, Artie, I think that would mean I'd have to give you some of me, give you away some data of mine. A little scared of me giving away my data to a guy in green shoes here today. <laughs> so what are some limitations that you see uh, for Seekster? I'm sure you've come across them already. You've had a lot of time to think about them. What's the only thing that you could see that might get in your way? Or is there? Yeah, very good question. So to clarify, you're not giving us anything. So we built the technology to give you the access to bring all your data together. So that is actually really important because privacy and security with health data is very important. And we took that very seriously. We invested millions of dollars up front for it to be 256-bit encrypted. I'll give you an example. So I don't know, you're a local guy, right? Yes. So you probably have like UCSD data or Scripps data or Sharp data. Yes. You've gone to one of those health systems in yes. San Diego Sharp. County. Well. Um, let's let's say Sharp. Let's say Sharp has a million people in San Diego on their uh, health system and on as a, as a provider. Well, they have one encryption key for all their million people, including you. With Seekster, when you collect your data, and let's say we have 10 million people using the technology and platform, we have 10 million encryption keys. Mm. So not only that, the data is scrambled. It's 256 been encrypted. What health systems did not anticipate was because, you know, technology just moves really quickly. It's not to blame the providers and health systems, but healthcare moves really slow. It's 2019, almost 2020, Kevin, and people as I showed on stage, are carrying binders of their health records and going to place to place to get the right treatments right. and care. It's 2020, yeah, I mean, great. the hoverboard is already out, right, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, I think it's an embarrassment actually for physicians. I think it's an embarrassment for innovators like ourselves. It's an embarrassment for technologies. This should have existed years ago, but you know, it just takes time sometimes because healthcare moves slow, but I could tell you all the focus now everywhere is healthcare. It doesn't matter if you're Warren Buffett, it doesn't matter if you're Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, it doesn't matter if you're the president of a small country, you're interested in having a discussion about health. You're interested in having a discussion about health data because at some point you're gonna get sick. And at some point your loved one got sick. There's no way that you don't care about it. That's the funnest part of my job. I can talk to Seekster about anyone, uh, with anyone, down the streets, 
in the movie theater, on a plane. People are just interested to talk about it. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, you made a great point. It's like people don't realize about their health until they get impacted. Yes. Until I broke my shoulder, I wasn't aware of like how much I appreciated having health insurance and how much that actually impacted my life. Uh, I couldn't work. I couldn't do a lot of different things. I was on the couch for days. That's right. I had to do PT because of it. And all these things come together and it's it's a really important issue. I was going to say maybe the only thing is that would uh, inhibit uh, your growth would be uh, just the average person working uh, and understanding technology uh, as well as age is a factor. I know my grandma, she just got shingles. Mm-hmm. A lot of her health records are in those binders. Getting that data might be a little bit different. Yeah, I didn't answer that question because we were talking about so many different things. I asked um, you too. So yeah, so the it. second <laughs> question to answer it, um, you're right. I mean, there is a little bit of that, but um, you can't think of the present. Totally. You totally. have to think about the future. Absolutely. The same way that, did you ever think that your mom and dad were gonna be texting you? No. no. And I still don't want them to. But you see what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's like, I'm still floored when I see my dad knows how to use an iPhone. Right. It's like, how does he know how to do that, right? Um, my grandmother knew how to use an iPhone. I mean, th- that blows me away. And so I think it's really interesting um, when something just becomes ubiquitous, right? And I think within um, consumer health, there's so much interest that the natural forces of society are gonna drive us towards this, whether we want it or not, right? right? And the experience of healthcare right now is so crappy Mm. that it should be as easy as buying something on Amazon. Mm. How easy is it right now? You don't have to go buy, I don't know, like your Windex anymore from Ralph's. You just go to Amazon, you click it, Windex is at your door within 24 hours or 48 hours. That's amazing, right? It's actually not that amazing. That should have happened. It just took a little while for it to happen, mm. right? And so, you know, how how easy is it for you to buy a concert ticket online, right? Yeah, you don't yeah, have to wait definitely. in line. So these kinds of things, I think, um, healthcare is always last, but the opportunity with healthcare and the magnitude that it hits is, it's not the fact that, you know, there's only a certain percentage of people interested in, you know, going to the Guns N' Roses concert. It's the fact that everyone at some point is interested in healthcare. For as a CEO, you know, of, of a health tech company, um, what type of discussions are you having with other leaders in this space, just to make sure that hey, whatever impact we're having, we want to make sure it's being our technology is being as used as a tool, not a weapon. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you know, when you create something like this so powerful, you have to be. Um, really cognitive of who you work with and who you want to do business with. There are a lot of parties out there that want to take advantage of various different, you know, startups that have innovation, right? Uh, Because we had the experience before and we have an amazing team and I have an amazing advisory board, the key thing is never make a decision just by yourself. So I have um, some of the best people in this space uh, that I've surrounded myself with. That's number one. So I give a lot of credit to all my mentors and investors and folks that have had my back uh, and, and, and through my fast track career, number one. Number two, uh, you have to understand what the business purpose always is. And don't just do business for the dollar. 
And that's hard. Yeah. But if you're truly in hell, you want to do business for a dollar, go work on Wall Street. And there's no problem with that, right? right? You know. But if you want to make a difference, do something for healthcare. Do something for your family. Do something for your mom. Do something for your wife. Do something for your brother. Do something for your dad. That can change their lives in a better way. Do something for your neighbor. And to ha- you have to have a certain mentality and you have to be able to bleed that mentality you know, all the way down to your developers. We are so fortunate at Seekster that our software team thinks of those things that I mentioned even more so than me. Hmm. Well, I think it's uh, back to what you originally said. Is, uh, I didn't choose a career, the career chose me. And I think that's a great point. That's manifested throughout this conversation as well. Hmm. Um, all right, you gotta ask you, where do you find the energy yeah. for this? I mean, you said you're going nonstop. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, I know you're a young guy, you're 39 years old, you're about to turn 40, but still, how do you find the energy for this and what keeps it going? Mm. One answer, complete underdog. Mm. And when you're an underdog, yeah, you, you know, it's a blessing in disguise. I'm, I've always been an underdog and I've had amazing success you know, right place, right time, and just work harder than, you know, your next door neighbor and just keep on plugging and plugging. But it's really persistence and consistence. And, you know, in my DNA, I've been blessed with, you know, high energy. I don't drink coffee. I have a Red Bull running through my veins and I'm just high on life. And, you know, if you have one life to live, make it the best you can you know, and make it the best you can for everyone that's surrounded by you too. Whatever you can do to give back if life gave you an opportunity, I think is the duty of a human being. And, um, you know, it is hard. You don't, you know, all these interviews and the press, everyone sees all the greatness, right? Mm. But there are really tough days, right? There are sad days. There are days where you don't want to do it, but you get an email, you get a call, you save a patient's life, there's some tweets that goes out, whatever it is, and it just uplifts you for another month. And that's been the story. And I was gonna say, when you said that you're an underdog, yeah, maybe you're implying that people were doubting you, people were hating you, and you just made a great point that I don't think it's talked about enough. Mm. And that's the downsides of being an entrepreneur, the downsides of putting all your your chips in one bag. Um, what do you have to say about that process and that journey that you've been through? And what advice do you have for people watching and say, you know what, already I'm dealing with the same thing right now? Yeah, I think you know being an entrepreneur is very lonely, and when you You have to get very comfortable with yourself. You have to be comfortable in your own skin. You have to be able to take, you know, um, bullets. As I say, I have my stars and my scars. So if you're an entrepreneur and you've never had any scars, well, you're definitely lucky. There's not that many. But if you talk to, you know, some of the world's, you know, greatest entrepreneurs, they'll tell you more horror stories than the great stories. And it takes, you know, a hundred horror stories to get that one great story. And no one talks about that path because that's a very dark path, right? But I think another thing is with entrepreneurs is everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, right? Um, At some point in their life, they think about it. However, um, it's not for everyone. 
And if you want to be an entrepreneur, you might actually not become an entrepreneur. I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I discovered that I had entrepreneurial DNA in me and just kept on, you know, working hard and solving problems and somehow, you know, hit at the intersection of healthcare and technology. And so, you know, that's what's so fascinating about it is that it really truly is a complete accident. Not only Seekster, but my entire career, my entire existence is a complete accident. And, you know, when you are the quarterback, and you're leading a team towards whatever goal that you're trying to lead towards, you have to stay the course. Mm. That's the best advice I can give any entrepreneur. Do not change course, no matter how tough it gets, no matter what happens, no matter you know how much money you have, no matter you know who puts you down, just stay the course block off all the noise. There's always so much noise. Just block it off and be laser focused on your mission. Artie, I really like your advice as well. Uh, staying the course, great trait of leadership. So the last question I have for you today, Artie, is what is your definition of a real leader? Yeah, um, my definition of a great leader is someone that can relentlessly just stay true to themselves. Don't be a leader to just be a leader because um, I think part of the problem there is you get a lot of leaders that are, are leaders, but they're kind of like fake leaders. If you really want to lead, figure out exactly, you know, what is it that people would follow that you can lead. So you have to stay true to yourself. Artie, I enjoyed our time here today on the Releaders Podcast. Talked a lot today. Talked about Seekster, the green shoes. Yeah, the green shoes. We, we, we talked <laughs> about the career path today, the hardships that come with it. And lastly, we wrapped it up with some leadership advice. Uh, so just want to thank you for coming back on uh, the Releaders Park Podcast. Uh, for Artie uh, Poor, I'm Kevin Edwards. Asking you to go out there, stay true to yourself. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks so much. Hey, good work there. Really appreciate it. Leadership impacts everything. That's why every episode is an opportunity for you to see a better version of yourself and the world. Thanks again, lucky listeners, for listening to this episode of the Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leadership, featuring the individuals and strategies harnessing capitalism to sustain people, the planet, and profits.